This is the seventh Sunday of Easter, and we're poised to celebrate the capstone of the great 50 days next Sunday on the Feast of Pentecost. This used to be called the Sunday after Ascension Day, because on Thursday it was the Feast of the Ascension. And I, I tell this story every Sunday after Ascension. In the old liturgy, we used to put the Paschal candle out on Ascension Day and take it out of the sanctuary instead of waiting to the more ancient location, which was Pentecost, when you put the Paschal candle out and then took it away without much ceremony. And when I was going off to seminary many years ago uh, at St. Matthew's Church in San Mateo, I had the responsibility to lead the chapel service for the children's Sunday school. So we were in the chapel at Julia Baylard Hall, and I said to the kids, what's not in the chapel that has been in the chapel for the last 40 days? And they said, oh, the Paschal candle. And I said, that's right. And why is the Paschal candle not in the chapel anymore? Oh, oh. Because we don't have to think about Jesus anymore. <laughs> so I want to say a word about the Ascension, and then I want to preach on all three readings, just uh, briefly on, from the book of Acts, from 1 Peter, and from John's Gospel, which is the end of the farewell discourse, the great high priestly prayer, where he is, some biblical scholars call it the prayer of consecration, where he is now... Uh, preparing to depart from the disciples and the apostles, and he's speaking a prayer of consecration that is also a prayer of unity between himself, uh, the community of faith we call the church, and its testimony of the um, relationship between him and God. Father Thomas Keating, who I quote often, said about the ascension, Christ ascended not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. In particular, he has penetrated the very depth of our being. Our separate self-sense has melted into his divine person, and now we can act under the direct influence of his spirit. He goes on to say that this process is a mysterious interpenetration of material experience, spiritual reality, and divine presence. This opens to us, opens us to the transcendent potential in ourselves, to our mind, which opens up to unlimited truth, and to our will, which reaches out for unlimited love. I was watching a, a YouTube video of Father Keating yesterday, and he was talking about a, a period of time he spent with one of the great a Zen masters in Japan. And he was speaking about how um, what the, the uh, master gave Father Keating some koans, some things to do. And he said, the thing that you should realize is that when you uh, enter into this process of reflection in the ways that I've just described, often the reality of them come to you through the five physical senses. And so you need to hone 
your five physical senses uh, in a way that uh, is necessary to understand this in depth. I think that's one of the reasons the church uses incense. I'm not kidding. Because uh, it is often through the sense of smell that things come to us uh, that we hadn't realized before. So, for example, suppose somebody is celebrating a birthday or an anniversary and somebody has prepared a surprise party for this person or persons and they have brought into the living room a bouquet of roses and they have set the roses behind the couch. And so you walk into the living room and you either smell the roses in the whole room or you may smell the roses in a very localized place but the smell identifies this in some way as a celebration and all of the things that uh, become now part of your reflection and understanding in this in this regard so that's important the readings today are uh, all about being in a holding pattern waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. In the sacramental life, in our baptism, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us, the means by which we understand that the Spirit is present to the whole community. And now Jesus ascends into heaven in this reading, and the Holy Spirit is going to come down next week and fill the apostles and the disciples and the community of faith which will bring them not merely the uh, knowledge of the presence of the Spirit, but of the consequences of the presence of the Spirit, which has something to do with God's unitive purposes. And when we talk about next week the Holy Spirit coming down and empowering the disciples and the apostles to come out and to speak in such a way that people who knew a variety of languages, all universally understood them. That's not a story about ecstatic speech, glossolalia. Let's all say glossolalia. It's a great word, don't you think? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about universal understanding. And so the Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, represents unitive being at work in the hearts of all faithful people. And so we're in the book of Acts now waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter, which we have read throughout the great 50 days of Easter, we have today an add-on, which is, uh, I've mentioned this to you, uh, 1 Peter is essentially an ancient baptismal homily, probably something Peter preached at the celebration of the sacrament of baptism an explanatory way of understanding uh, baptism as the work of the Spirit and the life of the church, the infusing of all the baptized with the, um, with the virtues of faith, hope, and love. And by virtue of that, they begin to understand how they can cope now with the development within the community of faith, and that's persecution. And they're now having difficulty with the Roman authorities uh, as Christian people. 
And Peter is saying to them they need to learn how to persevere and the Spirit will give them that ability to do this. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you in this YouTube video I endlessly talk about that uh, Sean Kelly, the chair of the Department of Philosophy at Harvard, said, my wife's mother grew up in China. And her mother made her memorize hundreds of lines of Chinese poetry every day. And when she got to be about 12 or 13 years old, she said to her mother, I can't do this anymore. I don't know why I'm being made to do this. Why are you making me do this? This is burdensome. I'm just, I'm, I just don't want to do it anymore. So she get, part of the answer was the answer we all got as kids from our parents is, you may not like this now, but one of these days you're going to thank me. Right? But she also said, because you have memorized all these lines of poetry, you will have them someday when you're in the middle of a situation, something is happening to you or with you, one of these lines is going to come into your head unbidden. And you will understand that it came into your head unbidden because it directly applies to the circumstances in which you find yourself. And this will not just be personal. It won't just have to do with your own subjective circumstance. It will be a reminder to you that you are part of a very great and ancient culture. And by virtue of that, you receive the support from the community, the culture of which you're a part. That's what Christianity is all about in all intentional communities because it's the community that provides us with that support in addition to whatever personal insights we, uh, we have. I was thinking when I heard this epistle read to me, Compline. And what popped in, into my head was, Brethren, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But God, O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. We say that at Compline every, week, every month. You go, and make that connection. You don't have to make the sound when you do that. That's not absolutely necessary. This is something that I do, but uh, some people don't, don't have to do that. You know, it may not even, in fact, be the best way to approach this. But it's an example of how something comes unbidden into your consciousness and has something to do with uh, the presence and the power of God. In the reading from the Gospel, Jesus is uh, now at the end of the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse runs from about chapter 13 through chapter 17. So it's a fairly good section in, in John's Gospel. And Jesus is not only saying goodbye, he's praying to, to uh, consecrate himself for what he is about to go through because he was praying this prayer at the Last Supper. 
So he is preparing himself for this, and by virtue of that, he is speaking about what has occurred. He's speaking about what has occurred in the process of relationship with the the apostles and the disciples. Remember this community, the community that wrote John's gospel, believed that if God were walking around on the earth, this is who he would be like. And further to the point, they realized that they weren't just watching God doing things, they were realizing that through his words and works and their relationship and experience with him, they now saw him in depth. Have you ever had an experience in your life where something happened and you realize now this event points you to something in the past that puts it all together for you? You know, you go, oh, I think nowadays some people call it an aha moment. Right? Oh, That's what that is. So the apostles and the disciples knew this about Jesus because they had been in relationship with him. They saw him, they heard him, and they were given tools that they could use with regard to how they might live and what they might do. John's gospel does not explicitly mention in the sense that the other gospels do uh, much about the sacraments. But the symbolism is fraught with examples of both baptism and the Eucharist. And in this high priestly prayer, we see that, that these things are the ways in which we uh, encounter them and the ways in which we understand them. So it isn't glib to say to somebody, what does the Episcopal Church believe? To say to them, come to the liturgy. That in our public prayer, we encounter Uh, what it is we believe. And that comes first. You know, the church is prior to the scriptures. The church was a praying community before we had the canon of the uh, Hebrew Bible or the New Testament. We were a worshiping community, and the conclusions that we drew about what our sacred literature should look like and be like and how we should comport ourselves as a community of faith institutionally, we understood this as the result of our liturgical experience of our lived experience. So in the great high priestly prayer, Jesus concludes that we are all now going to be protected as he has been with God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. As you wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost... Uh, Give thanks for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Understand that the Holy Spirit is the energy that allows you to uh, meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of you on a daily basis. You know, sometimes this comes by, I don't know how I got through that, but somehow I got through it, right? It isn't some sort of uh, uh, acquisition of a theological vocabulary that you can share with other people. It's nice to be able to Uh, to do that, but the checking off of the doctrinal boxes uh, is not the first step. That, That comes later, you know. And maybe for some, not very much at all, and for others who have a real need to know, uh, it is important, right? So doctrine is important. I'm not giving it short shrift, but um, 
Most of us, most of us uh, do this in a different way. So give thanks for that, the Holy Spirit. And on Trinity Sunday, the Sunday that all preachers dread. Trinity Sunday is the Sunday when we'll try to make sense out of it and not a pig's breakfast out of it in terms of what it means. Or as my theology professor said, well, it's all a very great mystery. Let's hope that isn't the case. But God loves, accepts, and forgives you unconditionally. Amen.